In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, there's a common misconception among pastors today that the parables of Jesus are always and only descriptions of the gospel. But that's not true. Yes, some of Jesus' parables are clearly about the gospel, like the prodigal son or the lost sheep or the lost coin, things like this. Uh, These clearly teach us about God's work in redeeming poor, miserable sinners. But some of Jesus' parables are about the law, like the parable of the hidden talents and the good Samaritan. Well, the parable for today in Luke 16, the dishonest manager, is one of these. It is a parable about the law. Jesus instructs us on what we ought to do, how we should behave and live. That's the purpose of this parable. So for today, the specific facet of the law that, te- that, that Jesus teaches on is stewardship. It's how Christians should use their money. Jesus speaks on this quite often. I know people always get uncomfortable whenever pastors speak about money. I get uncomfortable too. Uh, but I want to be clear. I'm not talking about money today because we need more of it, whether that's true or not, or because I've arbitrarily imposed a stewardship Sunday onto the church. And it's not because we're trying to raise money for something, whether the sanctuary or anything else. Fundraising has its place, but it's not the pulpit. This Sunday is about money because that's what the text is about. That's what Jesus speaks about. So this text comes up every single year on the ninth Sunday of Trinity. You can predict this. You know every year it's coming up this Sunday. So the reason this sermon is about money is because that's what Jesus talks about today. So in order to do this, Jesus uses a parable. He uses an illustration, this story to try and convey the point on how Christians are to use their money. So this is the story. He says, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to the the boss, the master, that this man, the manager, was wasting the other guy's possessions. In other words, the boss caught his employee skimming money from the accounts and being reckless with everything that the boss had. In any job you would have, you would be fired for this. He was a bad employee. The boss caught him. So the boss calls him to his office and says, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management because you can no longer be manager. So he wanted to verify if his employee was being wasteful and he wanted to see how wasteful the employee was, how much he squandered and wasted of his own money and possessions. The employee now realizes that he was caught and he couldn't lie his way out of the problem. He couldn't reconcile the the differences here. So he says to himself, what am I going to do since my master is taking the management away from me? In other words, I'm getting fired. I'm not going to have a job. On top of that, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So I can't get another job. I can't ask people for money. And now I will be homeless. I'm going to die alone. This is what's going through his mind. So he comes up with a plan and he says this, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And what was his plan? It was this. 
he summoned his master's debtors one by one. He calls them in and he says to the first one, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. That's what I still have to pay him back. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down and quickly write 50. Boom, uh, half is gone. And he said to, uh, uh, and then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And the other comes in and he says, a hundred measures of wheat. And he says to him, take your bill and write 80. And he does this for all of the debtors, all the people who owe his master. <clears throat> That's his plan. So there are several things to note here. And the first is this, that the, the, the employee is cutting everyone's bill by about 18 months of payments. He bought each of these people a year and a half's worth of money. That's a massive amount of money. That's a massive discount. And you can imagine how thankful the people were. Just imagine yourself if you had uh, an 18-month reprieve or break on your loans or your student loans or 18 months of mortgage that you don't have to pay or 18 months of your car payment you don't have to pay, things like that. That's huge. The second thing is this. I see how this helps people, but I don't see how it's helping the employee. So he helps everyone else, but how, how does it help him? Well, these people are going to be so thankful for the great discount that they're going to love that employee and they're going to feel what? Indebted to him. They're going to feel indebted to him and they want to do something nice in return. So when the employee is eventually fired, this guy will go back to each one of those people and ask for help and say, hey, do you remember when I slashed your bill by half? And when I saved you 18 months of payment here, hey, I need a place to stay for the week, for a month, for 18 months. Um, and they will receive him into their houses and they'll take care of him because he took care of them. Now, there's one final crucial detail here that we almost always miss. And without this detail, the whole plan wouldn't work. The whole plan would fail. And it's this. <clears throat> This shows the genius of this employee. He tells the customers to write this down on their bill with their own hands. Why? Why does he do that? All of the accounts are written in his handwriting, but now when he gives them this massive discount, he says, now you write it in your handwriting. So then he, uh, uh, you would see all of the same handwriting, but with these discounts, you see a different handwriting. Well, the reason is this. When the employee turns in these accounts to his boss, his boss is going to see the handwriting is different on the bills with an 18-month discount. And this is important because when the boss looks at it, when he sees the customer's handwriting, he's going to realize that the employee didn't write this himself, which means he already told the customers about the discount, about the savings which means they've already heard the news, which means they're already celebrating the big savings that the boss just gave them. In other words, what this employee does is he ties his boss's hands. He puts them in between, in between a rock and a hard place. The boss has one of two options now to get out of the situation. The boss can either go back to all of those families himself Stop the party, tell them that they don't get the discount, tell them that it was all a big mistake, that it was a lie, and demand that they pay him back. That's option one. He could do that. 
Option two, uh, if he does that, you know what he's going to be viewed as. He's going to be seen as the bad guy, the villain. Option two is to simply uphold the discount and be seen as a hero to the whole community, to keep his reputation. So either he can go get his money and lose his reputation, or he can lose his money and keep his reputation. Which one is it? So the employee puts him in this hard place and says, you make the decision here. But he can't do both. Meanwhile, the employee will look like the good guy in either situation because either they will receive him into their homes out of pity because the boss was such a terrible guy. I can't believe he fired you. I can't believe he did this. He's so awful. Yeah, I'll have compassion on you. You can stay with me. Or they will receive him into their homes out of obligation because he cut them such a great deal that they now owe him. The text then says that when the master saw the accounts and realized what the employee did, he commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What the man did was awful. What he did, this was a sin. What this manager did was actually, he was lying. He did something wrong. He he, uh, uh, um, set this man up for failure, but... It was clever, is the point. The master didn't commend the, man, the, the man's dishonesty. He commended the man's shrewdness, his cleverness, his wittiness, his mental acuity. So the parable ends this way, with Jesus saying, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, Jesus uses this parable, which is a parable of a bad person, a bad example, to tell you to uh, uh, emulate and imitate the good thing he did. The good thing he did was not lying. The good thing he did was his cleverness, his shrewdness. So I'll break down Jesus' words here. When Jesus says the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation, than the sons of light. He is making a comparison between believers or unbelievers, the sons of this world and Christians, the sons of light. And he's saying all too often, the unbelieving world is more clever with their money than Christians are. That's his point. Worldly people love money and know how to use it for their advantage like this dishonest manager. They know how to get what they want from it. And they know how to use their money for evil more than Christians know how to use it for good. After that, then Jesus says this. He gives an exhortation. And he says it shouldn't be this way. So he tells us how to change it. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, that is money. So that when it fails, when the money fails you, they, those friends that you made, may receive you into the eternal dwellings, that is, the resurrection to eternal life. So what this means is that if the scoundrel uses his money to make temporal friends, then you should use your money to make eternal friends. And how do you do that? Well, you have to think through it. Which friends of yours will be friends forever? Christians. 
Any Christian friend you have will be your friend unto eternal life. And how do people become and remain Christians? By hearing the word of God. And where is the word of God preached? In church. So how do you make friends uh, for, forever? How do you make friends uh, unto eternity? By giving money and supporting the preaching of the word. That is the point. This, this text is not about raising money with fundraisers or about projects or methods or strategies. It's simply about stewardship. It's simply about giving money to have a church and to keep your, your, your pastor and his family alive. I, I want to talk very specifically about money here. You've heard it said money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. That means that money isn't evil. The human heart is. Our hearts love money. Money causes husbands and wives to fight and burn with anger. It causes people to sue one another. It causes people to live luxurious lives while giving next to nothing to their neighbor in need. Loving money means loving stuff more than you love people, more than you love Jesus or forgiveness or peace. A rich man can enter the kingdom of heaven, but a lover of money can't. There will be no lovers of money in the kingdom of God. There will be many rich people, though, who gave these things up for the sake of the kingdom. Today, Jesus doesn't ignore the use of money. He acknowledges money's power in this world. He acknowledges what money can do and what it's used for in life. Look, without money, we all know you can't take care of your wife and children. You can't feed them. Without money, you can't give to the church's upkeep to change the air filters or to pay the lights and the water. Jesus isn't condemning money. He knows what it's used for in this life. Pastors who condemn money are like those who condemn drinking alcohol for fear that people might accidentally misuse it. There is a right and a wrong use of money, and that's what Jesus is teaching. God is saying simply this, the world uses money for unrighteous things, so you Christians use your money for righteous things. The world uses money to gain, uses people to gain money, but you use your money to gain people. Use it to make friends who will be there with you in heaven. If you love your neighbor, then you put your money where your heart is. You use your money for the sake of the gospel, which is able to help you and save, uh, to, to help your neighbor and save your neighbor in a way that money never can. This means that for Christians, supporting the preaching of the word is primary. Buying a new car, upgrading your house and vacations and all other things which are good are secondary. Uh, as an aside, just some practical advice. When you create a budget for yourself, don't budget offering last with what's left. Rather, you budget offering first and then learn to live on the other 90% or whatever it is. All too often, we figure, it, figure out what we want first and then we give what's left. Rather, it should, this shows a, a problem in our priorities. One of the main reasons churches close down is because the members of the church have spent their money supporting businesses of this world more than supporting the preaching of the word. That's it. 
It's, in fact, it's not a good sign when a lot of people join the church and the offering remains the same as it did the year before. Or if people leave the church and the offering remains the same. When an entire congregation does this for some time, then it is no surprise that churches close their doors left and right. Jesus teaches us to use money in such a way that we would have a baptismal fund, where we would make infants our friends unto eternal life. We ought to use money in such a way that we have a pulpit where our Christian friends would be strengthened and assured of God's forgiveness in Christ. When you support the preaching of the word, you're using money so that the people sitting next to you right now are the same ones that you will see in heaven in eternity. My, my counsel, <clears throat> my encouragement to you as your pastor to whom God has given the uh, care of your eternal soul, my counsel is this, that if you're not giving regularly to the church, the preaching of the word, then start now. Give your first fruits like Abel. Put your money where your heart is. Take care of yourself, take care of your family, and take care of your church. Don't do this because you think that you can earn heaven this way. You can't. Jesus bought you a place in heaven with things far more precious than gold or silver. The reason we're generous with our money is not to earn something back. The reason we're generous is to put to death in ourselves the love of money. And when you do this, you'll rejoice with a joy that no money can buy. Naked we have come into this world, and naked we'll depart. Whatever we have now will be gone in our last day. The day is coming when every one of us will have to let go of every single penny you have earned, everything we've ever bought. It will go away. And when we're generous, we are preparing ourselves for that moment. We're preparing ourselves to let go of everything in a moment. And when that moment comes, when you close your eyes in death, then by God's grace, he will send his holy angels to bring you into your eternal dwelling. And there you will see your dearest and truest friend, your Lord Jesus Christ, who spent his life on you to prepare a place for you in heaven. And on that day, you will see your friends and your family, your father and your mother, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, who died trusting in the generosity of Christ's self-donation to you. And they will be there to welcome you into your eternal home. Dear saints, in the end, money will fail you. It never brings the satisfaction that you think. It will never uh, ultimately satisfy. Your body, which you've spent so much money on, will fail you too. Your brain will stop working, your heart will stop beating, your lungs will stop breathing, your body will stop moving. That day is coming sooner than you think. You'll go to the grave and take nothing from this world with you. But this gospel, 
This word which you've so graciously and joyfully supported in this brief life of labor, this will never fail you. And it won't fail your friends or your spouse or your children. This word is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. This world and everything in it will fail, but Jesus will not fail you. He will do for you what no amount of money could ever do. He will raise you from the dead. He will give you life and he will raise you perfect, holy, beautiful, without sin or pain or sorrow forever. Today, Christ gives you himself, his very body and his blood, and he makes you his friend. And in receiving the very body and blood of Christ, he makes you rich beyond measure. And he will receive you then into his eternal dwellings. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.